Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Follow the Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. So a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there was a TV show in the 60s that said, Space is the final frontier. Well, it's not like that anymore. It's actually becoming a reality and more of a playground for billionaires like Elon Musk. And there's so many space projects now, and they're helmed by the Earth's richest men, and they're getting close to making it happen. We're going to take a look at why space is becoming so relevant. And plus, is space like the new frontier? Is it a frontier? What the hell is space? And is it like the new world was 600 years ago? Is it just for exploration? Or is it the place of our future economy? Will it need infrastructure like roads, electricity, and maybe even space discos, governments, regulations, policies. Our guest says he has a plan to really build that economy of tomorrow while helping solve our problems back here on Earth. I'm David Grasso, and this is Follow the Prophet. Well, if you're looking to get rich quick, we're going to talk about space today. We're not really talking about money. There is a lot of money in space, but it's not going to get you rich quick. Go and listen to another podcast if you're interested in that. When you listen to this podcast, Follow the Prophet is about really trying to figure out what the hell is going on around us. And space is one of those weird things that is, to me, spectacularly boring, unless you talk about it in a way that makes sense to us economically, politically, socially, and culturally. And that's exactly what we do on this podcast with every topic. So let's get into this. Space. We should talk about Jeff Bezos, who is, of course, the founder of Amazon, and Elon Musk, who, of course, is the founder of SpaceX and Tesla and many more things. And then, of course, Richard Branson, who is the founder of Virgin and Virgin Galactic. All these billionaires are in this crazy for-profit, sort of, or for-ego space race. So how are they doing this? Well, a lot of cash, right? But they're actually wanting to go themselves. In fact, Mr. Bezos recently announced that he's going to go up in space. He's going to do this on July 20th. And think about, like, just doing something simple. Going to the movies. You have to plan it. You got to pick your seats. These days, you got to figure out, like, whether you're going to get the plague or not. You got to get there on time, right? If you're going overseas, it gets a bit more complicated. 
if I'm going to Argentina, I need to know what flight I'm taking. I need my passport. I need to pack luggage. I need to figure out who's going to babysit Fido. Yes, that's his name. And I need to get some of their Monopoly money that they use down there. And more importantly, I probably need some sort of, you know, plan B if something goes wrong. So let's put that on steroids and think about space. Everyone has the desire. Well, I don't know about me, but many people have the desire. But fewer have the opportunity to do so. And even fewer have the absolute cash to do so. Well, we have one of those people who has everything. And that's Jeff Bezos. He's one of the richest guys in the world. And on July 20th, he'll be part of a manned crew that will fly his rocket, created by his company, Blue Origin. They have a very nice building down the street from here in Central Florida. Mind you, this is much more complicated than going to Argentina, but it's not Star Wars either. In fact, this trip will only be 11 minutes long and get to go about 60 miles above the planet. And that's where our atmosphere ends and space begins, evidently. And for three minutes, Jeff Bezos and his crew, including his brother, will unbuckle from their seats and experience, you know, the little floaty stuff, the weightlessness. But Jeff isn't alone. There's a bunch of billionaires that want to do the same thing. In fact, there's one Russian-Israeli billionaire named Yuri Milner who wants to build an interstellar probe. And then, of course, there's Richard Branson. You've probably seen him. He has a fancy British accent, and he's famous for Virgin Airways, and now he does Virgin Galactic. And then, of course, there's the craziest character of them all, the one that is the most popular and beloved by many, including me, Elon Musk. He doesn't just want to go up there and feel weightlessness. He wants to colonize Mars. So where do all these desires come from? Are they futurists? Are they, you know, is this just wanting to go down in history and be part of the narrative? Well, if we look back in the 80s, there was an entrepreneur named Peter Diamandis, and he created the Students for Exploration and Development of Space. And its purpose was to be a student space society. And one of its chapter's presidents was none other than Jeff Bezos from Pinecrest, Florida. And Jeff, you know, joined this club and decided that he was interested in space. So the same guy, Diamandis, in the 90s, decided to get more people involved in space. So he developed the X Prize, and it was this global sweepstakes to develop technology that benefits humanity. And one winner developed a way to produce a new composite material. And that technology was then licensed to none other than Richard Branson for his Virgin Galactic project. And the change in the culture affected someone else growing up in South Africa. And his name was Elon Musk. And his interest in space started at five years old. He says in his own words, when you develop an interest in space, it changes your relationship with this planet, with humanity. It's one Earth. And I want to go on this flight because it's the thing I've wanted to do my whole life. You know what the funny thing about money people is? Is that you can't control them. People who have that much money can kind of do whatever they want. And that's cue in all these billionaires who are like, you know what? All this money is meaningless to me unless I can do things that no one has ever done before. And that's why we're seeing the billionaires just kind of make space their new playground, their new playpen. It's a big grown-up contest. And Jeff and Elon are competing with each other. They're already the richest people on Earth, so they want to be the fathers of space. 
But is space just for them? Is space just going to be a billionaire's playground? Or do we really need to start thinking about the future of space and how that's going to affect things here back home? Even for those of us who don't go up in space and really might never get the chance to do so, space has a lot of impact on our life and our way of life. And my next guest is really going to talk about that. Like, why is space relevant to us? Listen, I was one of those people who fell asleep at the planetarium. Space isn't that interesting to me. But I have a fundamental understanding of why space is important. And we're going to try to unpack that so that you understand that space isn't just some, you know, cartoon like Futurama or some, you know, movie like Avatar. It's tomorrow. It's our future. And you should care about it. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. So humanity has always had a drive to discover new places. The age of exploration where Europeans, particularly my people from Spain, right? They wanted to discover and find a way to the east. So they went west and discovered where I'm standing now, the Americas. And that discovery radically changed societies, politics, economies, and culture forever. I bring this up because today we're in a very similar place. And what's been going on for the past hundred years is now changing the future. And it all really started with curiosity and then the space race. And it wasn't just for discovery. It was to beat the communists. Of course, I'm mentioning the Soviet Union. And then during the 80s, it was for technological advancement. We were looking at what I saw growing up, the U.S. space shuttle, a reusable rocket ship, which I just saw in Huntsville, Alabama. Or, you know, space probes, where we got those fancy pictures of faraway places. And the management of space has now morphed. There's a lot of private companies that do it. We know Elon Musk and SpaceX and the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, with his company, Blue Origin. Governments and private industry are working together. And what we're seeing is the goals have changed from just discovery to potential life, you know, living out there on nearby planets to maybe even mining asteroids. Mind you, this is all pretty new, but where is this going? And how about the next hundred years? Is a bunch of stuff gonna happen? I think so. Are we gonna get to go to space? We know Jeff Bezos is going up pretty soon. So let's talk about enabling space access to everyone. Our next guest is here to explain that. His name is Tim Chrisman, and he's the co-founder and executive director for the Foundation for the Future. Pretty cool name, Tim. The future sounds exciting. It is. Thanks for having me, David. 
So tell me, from a layperson's point of view, what is space and why should we care? I think your example of the Spanish looking for a new way to get their spices fast was a good one to use because the main reason for space is because there's a part of humanity that craves the new and the adventure and the excitement. Sure, there's economic potential and opportunity in space, and that will help sustain it, but part of humanity's very core is a wandering and exploring and finding, and space offers that in a limitless way like nothing we've ever known before. I live in Florida, so I see rockets go off all the time, and I'm married to someone who loves rockets. But for the regular person, where are we in terms of space? Where are we going? We see, as you mentioned, with the Jeff Bezos and others, they're going to space, and they're taking people that are regular. And we have heard, I mean, at least for my whole life, we're almost there, we're almost there. And I think that's where we're at, is we're there. It's costing the better part of $200,000 for some of these first passengers. That's a lot of money, but they're the first passengers. We saw that with air travel, a similar price for the first flights, and within four or five years, that dropped down to you know, a hundredth the price. Now, I think we're about to the point where that's going to be the thing for space. And so by the end of this uh, decade, you and I may not be walking on the moon, but we will be going to space for probably the same price as flying to Australia right now. That's bananas, because I'm, I'm kind of the type where, you know, like, Space is kind of scary to me, right? Maybe I've seen mm -hmm. Apollo 13 too many times. I saw the Columbia lift off because, of course, Florida man, right? And it never came yeah. back. All those people died. Yeah. So I'm a little scared yeah. of going up there. That's fair. And I was asked this a few weeks ago. Hey, Elon Musk is blowing up rockets on a launch pad. Why would I get on one of those? And my answer was, the more they blow up now, the more they find out what can go wrong. Stress test them now, figure it out, run them through their paces, because as we're about to find out, rockets used to be hard. When the space shuttle was going up, it was a single vendor making a lot of the parts. And that introduces a situation where a accident with one person causes a catastrophe. Now we've got entire supply chains and quality control teams across dozens of organizations working to make sure it's safer. And that's why Jeff Bezos is taking himself and his brother on the first flight to prove, look, I trust my equipment, you can too. So you're advocating for the creation of a space infrastructure administration. What is that? Like, are you saying, like, we're going to build some, like, happy 1950 suburbs uh, on Mars? Like, I I'm trying to understand this. Yeah, one day. That's not what we're trying to do right now. What we're trying to do right now is establish a public-private partnership that can issue bonds, have loan guarantee authority from the Treasury Department, but still be a fully private corporation able to act at speed and not 
hampered by government contracting requirements and lengths to deploy money into a lot of those same sorts of things that would go into a subdivision, the power, the food and water requirements, the fuel depots, start investing in those projects and create basically a cycle where now there's a demand, customers are moving up, companies now have an incentive to start building more and bigger. So President Trump came out and said he wanted to create the Space Force and that created all sorts of waves in the news like, ooh, like, you know, astronauts. Like, are you advocating for more public policy developments like that? The short answer is yes. So I'm a former army officer. And when I saw the Space Force created, I realized that the U.S. government was boxing itself into a position where everything space that NASA didn't want or couldn't do would be handed to Space Force on purpose or accidentally. And that's just what happens to the military when it's in places that are new and on the frontier, so to speak. And I realized we need a tool that can bridge that. That's not pushing scientific advancement and not defending us. The civil and civilian world that handles the boring stuff. I don't know who paves my roads. I'm glad they do. And that's the sort of organization we need that is focused on space. But Tim, this is something that is poorly understood by the public here on Earth. I'm someone who really likes urban planning and people don't understand the complexity of just living in an American suburb. You need power, you need water, you have sewage, you have stormwater. They got to pave the roads. They got to make sure the schools aren't failing. Like these are incredibly complex, multi-tiered levels of government with money flowing in a million different directions. And people don't understand their own neighborhood. So how are we going to make them understand like a theoretical space infrastructure that has yet to exist? So what we're trying to do is create an environment where those organizations that already know how to invest in infrastructure, that have a vested stake in big long-term projects like that, have a stable source of capital and a partner to help buy down the risk. This organization we're advocating for wouldn't fully fund projects. It would be mandated to work with large private equity and infrastructure funds to vet the projects and bundle the investments. And instead of fully funding, it would take the first loss position and help buy down the risk for the you know, professionals who do this day in and day out in you know, suburbs um, all the way out to the bottom of the ocean. So it's one of these things, though, that like, I don't think people understand the role of government in buying down risk in normal markets, like how if in my town we want to repave the road, that's funded by taxpayers and there's loans and these are complex financial instruments. There's a lot going on. There's local, state and federal governments. So can you walk me through an example of how it would work for a space company? Are you trying to create an environment where there could be more space startups, more money flowing into the industry, and perhaps creating an environment where America could be 
the global leader in space, which we currently are. We're trying to create an environment where startups are not dependent on either a government contract that requires years of attorney fees just to figure out what they're even bidding on and not dependent on venture capital that's demanding an exit in three to five years. Instead, we want to have the same long-term private equity segment that exists on the ground that will absorb 10 years of development, 20 years of development for long-term returns. And we want to unlock that as a new investment segment for space to enable those startups that have a long lead time in their build-out. We also want to ensure that established companies that maybe are post-initial public offering or post-VC round but don't have ready sources of credit to be able to get that on the private markets without having to pay absurd, basically, payday lender fees in terms of getting access to new forms of capital. So what's the space economy going to be like, Tim, like from a regular person's point of view? Because you, you're you an army intelligence captain. You've dealt with very complicated issues. Besides traveling to space, what practical uses does it have for you know my suburban American life? Right now, we can't do anything without space, whether it's a stock trade, online call, or even uh, just using a cell phone, all of those require GPS and the timing there. And as we uh, move further into space, a lot of the technologies that we're developing there are being returned here to the ground for use. Most of the NASA probes it sends places are basically just prototypes of stuff to use here on the ground. And so as we go forward and more and more access to spaces available. You're right to say tourism is one of those. Another one is unlocking new sources of power like space-based solar power, where we can essentially eliminate the need for emergency backup power in case of uh, disasters like we saw in Texas this last winter, or on-orbit manufacturing of things that are too dirty to make here on the ground, or we just can't. There's a number of different treatments for diseases that are being made in space because the zero gravity lets the molecules bond in such a way that it's more effective and easier to deliver. So a lot of what space offers is places to put things we don't want to put on the ground or can't. How about internet? Because I know Elon Musk is working on this global internet system. And I was just out in the country in Georgia. My internet was terrible, Tim. Can space help with that? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) No, it absolutely can. And that's part of the sort of space build out is working our way out. So Starlink and some of these other internet providers are going to be early versions of global internet coverage. I think it's a a solid way to cover the vast majority of us with fairly high-speed internet. And it's probably easier than laying fiber at everybody's house. Uh, And it's pretty close to the same speed. So that's a solid one. And I think more and more, we see the public demanding things that only space can provide, like high-speed internet in the middle of nowhere. I never really imagined I would go to space. If you had told me that as a kid, I would have laughed at you. 
How do you tell people like, hey, you can go to space too and you could be out in the middle of nowhere and have high speed internet? Is that like not even in our brain? Because the way we're educated, like that's some distant future that's never going to happen. Yeah. One part of that is the the whole idea of making space boring enough to be real that uh, we sort of have taken on as one of our missions. Um, we don't think anything of building houses in the mountains or deserts or getting on a giant boat and sailing around. But you go back a few hundred years and those things are crazy. So the pitch to people right now is, look, are you tired of doing things the way you're always doing it? Do you want adventure? Do you want to make a name for yourself? That's not going to be the vast majority of the public initially. It's going to be those early adopters. But it's that segment of the population that has unlocked new frontiers. They were at the OK Corral. They were on uh, Columbus's expedition. So it's that group that is emerging now that we're going to see uh, sort of take us up and out. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Well, I'm cognizant every time I get on a jet that what we're doing is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> that we get on this metal contraption and that I fly across the continent in five hours from Florida to California. It's pretty nuts to me. But I guess the, the culture thinks that things are impossible, but the impossible is only impossible because we think it's impossible. Besides going to space, that this whole space world is going to create. You know, we talked about high-speed internet. We talked about going to space. What else is there that, you know, we haven't even thought of? You mentioned how we as a society are sort of fragmenting and polarizing. And there's there's been a lot of research done over the years. I was a political scientist by schooling and a lot of the work that was done showed that when a nation has a frontier, this hard edge to push up against, it gives the rabble rousers a distraction, the ability to try something new and push the envelope on sort of the idle hands or the devil's workshop sort of idea. And so the more we can integrate as the American people, this idea that space is our new frontier, it's the new Wild West, that gives us a uh, safety outlet that lets us channel what would otherwise be destructive infighting 
out to trying new things and experimenting on the frontiers uh, of society. And so I think that is a huge potential of space that is totally not related to making money and dreams of grandeur. So cultural changes. There's something about frontier culture that creates like a very special vibe. And for someone who's who travels a lot that you know when you're in a frontier country. It's like we all have barbecue and cowboys and like this this camaraderie that other countries don't have. So you're suggesting space is similar? I'm suggesting it's exactly that. I grew up in Alaska and the vast majority of the people I knew and interacted with growing up were probably of different political bents from my family, but we all survived 60 below winters and so would high five together for barbecues and get together and laugh and joke about the hard things we went through. Sure, in you know, next election cycle we would fight it out and then laugh about who won or lost, but there was something that united us, and that was surviving all of these hard things and making fun of the city folk. So space offers that in spades. Tim, a lot of those people who originally settled the Americas, of course, we're not including the indigenous people that were already here. They were kind of crazy, Tim. Just <laughs> yeah. like you Alaskans are absolutely insane. Who would live there? It's too cold. Unless you live in that little part of southeast Alaska that's like the same weather as Seattle. Who in their right mind would go to space and who in their right mind would live in like 1700s America? It's a, literally a black hole up there. Like, what, 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 so who, who in their right mind would want to do this? People who want to be a part of history. So Ernest Shackleton, the explorer of Antarctica, he posted an ad saying men wanted for a hazardous journey. It was a different time. They didn't accept women. You know, small wages, it's going to be cold. There's probably no light. We probably aren't coming back. But if we do, we're, uh, everybody's going to know your name. And thousands of people signed up. There was no depression. It was a good time to be in Britain. They had an empire. But they did it because they like, we want to be a part of history. And those are the same people who will settle space. So is it true that Elon Musk wants to go to Mars himself and touch the ground? That is what I've heard. Why? <laughs> Tim, he's the richest person on this earth, which is fabulous and made for us. Like, this is literally like, this is this planet is FUBU. It's like, for us, by us. You know, it's like, yeah. it's very much like the atmosphere is perfect. I mean, maybe not where you're from in Alaska, but this world is absolute perfection. I think it goes back to the first people there get stuff named after them and you become immortal. And I mean, I don't want to die. So I assume that's why he's doing it. He wants to have some na city named after him somewhere. And there's nowhere left here on earth to do it, even though he is the richest guy here. <laughs> so let's talk about geopolitics here. Cause you're, you're an army intelligence guy. So obviously you developed your career learning about other places, other cultures, other governments, and making strategic decisions for our military. Where does space go into this? Is this important for us to retain our position at the top? Yeah, this is very similar to the contest over the oceans here on Earth that we saw play out over hundreds of years. And I say it was similar because to ship things on the ocean it costs a lot to get started, but once you do, it's almost free. 
So controlling access to sea lanes, and a lot of times ensures whether countries can live or die getting food or goods. Space offers a similar mechanism for transporting goods and services, access to asteroids with resources and mining, and just the ability to see down. If from anywhere in orbit, you pass over most of the Earth, and that gives you access to peer into neighbors, enemies, and the like. And so if you are setting the standards and the norms for that sort of environment, you want to make sure that you are someone that is trustworthy. The U.S. makes a lot of mistakes, and the best part about that is we fix what we can, adapt what we can't, and try again. A lot of our competitors don't do that. They have their way, and it's going to be that way or else. And we see this with China in the South China Sea, where they drew on the map that this is ours. And little by little, they, they built it until it was theirs. And they're doing similar stuff in space now, where they're just slowly building up and getting to a point where, at some point, it will be theirs because it's hard to uproot what's already planted. Uh, I guess I'm thinking of all the funny space stuff, like in Futurama, they forgot French because the English became the official language. Oh, well, I mean, there's that. American <laughs> supremacy in space is just kind of assumed, isn't it, Tim? Like, everyone's going to be speaking American English up in these spaceships, and there's different, like, Hollywood multimedia on this topic, but there's always jokes about how all the other cultures died and ours won up there. No, I, I remember as a kid asking, like, why are they, you know, a thousand years in the future in this movie? Why are we, why are they speaking English? Everything else changed. And I think, you know, for many years now, it's been assumed because the U.S. has been the space people. Russia challenged us to a foot race. They lost. We look more like Usain Bolt than the high school runner that Russia was. And now we're entering a period where China and Russia are starting to team up to compete with us and winning this race is no longer guaranteed so long as we assume we're the best and the greatest that allows a competitor to catch up. Are there a lot of jobs going to be created in this industry? Because that seems to be a concern about the future. You, you know, your your foundation is a, has the word future in it. And one of the things about the future that we're concerned about is that no one's going to have any meaningful paid work. Does the space economy provide that? We talk about this a lot, that if you do it here on the ground, we're going to need it in space for almost everything. Even early on, the millionaires and billionaires going to space aren't mixing their own drinks, aren't fixing their Wi-Fi or their AC. And so you need those skilled laborers in the space economy on the ground and, and in orbit. And as this segment of the economy grows we need more of those skilled workers ranging from machinists all the way through the sort of robotic operators. But wait, Tim, you're telling me that there's like going to be like servers up in space, like on the cruise ships. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> like instead, like my neighbor's going to be like, hey, I'm going up to, I don't know, the, the Musk ship and I'm, I'm going to be the, you know, the DJ at the space disco. Like that's, that's, that's going to happen. <laughs> 
I mean, um, yes. <laughs> the short version. Right now we're looking at space like, you know, 1700s America looked at sailing ships and like, yeah, they got cannons or cargo. Nobody could conceive the pretty liners that we're on now. But yeah, somebody's got to mix the drinks. I won't. I'm a pretty lousy drink mixer myself. I grew up going on cruise ships because, again, it all comes back to Florida. That's what we do when we're bored here. We go on cruise ships when there's not, like, a pandemic raging. Um, so is there going to be, like, like the ocean princess going to be the space princess up in space? Like, there's going to be, like, recreational stuff going on up there? Without a doubt. Marriott and Hilton have both already started talks for hotels in low Earth orbit and even beyond sort of just showing up, hanging out at, a you know, the Marriott Space Edition, there's the idea that instead of just sending starships one way to Mars, you put them on a loop where it's essentially a cruise line that is just looping between here and Mars, and you just take a nine-month cruise to Mars and back. So yes, that's not the next five years, but probably the next 15 so I could go play shuffleboard on the Lido deck on my way to Mars like I do on a cruise ship right now? I would do bingo and roulette, but you, I mean, they may have shuffleboard too. I don't want to prejudge. <laughs> well, I imagine culturally, you know, a lot of culture gets relayed to similar things. Well, yeah, I mean, I just hope we don't take shuffleboard to uh, space. I mean, ping pong's another cruise <laughs> ship slash spaceship sport. There we go. I don't know how that there works with the. So, will they have like anti gravity stuff on there, or like, or like, you know, like, will you float around? Is is that good for your body? I, I was I've, I've seen only the sci fi. Like, are are we supposed to be up there? <laughs> I mean, we're not. No, <laughs> it's, it's literally the worst place in the universe for us to be. Is off this place. And so what, what has been talked about for a lot of these longer duration trips and the hotels are spinning them to um, create a effect of gravity. And by making the spin slow enough and strategically positioning the windows, we don't actually know that we're in something that's spinning and it gives us the simulation of gravity. But yes, it is bad to float around. So one of the things about infrastructure that are really interesting, and we're discovering this the hard way back here on Earth, is that if you don't make the right decisions like now, in 30 years, you end up with crumbling bridges and, you know, the basically our reality that we're living in now because no one's cared about infrastructure in the past 40 years. And we didn't make these decisions, Tim, right? Our parents did. And you can go home and blame them for, you know, our crappy bridges and, you know, everything. So... These decisions are pretty high stakes because if we don't create the space infrastructure and we don't lead it, we're going to have a pretty crummy space economy, aren't we? Not only are the decisions that are made about infrastructure long lasting, but the first mover now sets the stage. In some cases, maybe too expensive to do it a different way. This is why we have Blu-ray and not HD discs. And that's in part why we're pushing Congress to do a private uh, investment corporation with federal authorities and not a new NASA, a new agency to basically rehash a lot of the mistakes 
uh, around privatization that have been made in other sectors. Well, I don't mean to ruin your lobbying efforts or anything, but I feel like Congress would probably end up creating like some sort of movie like Avatar where we're mining on Obtanium and like... Are we the good guys? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it depends on the day. I feel like the the blue people probably wouldn't have a lobbyist in Congress like an avatar, but the unobtainium no, people would probably have like five lobbyists. So how do you how do you like shepherd this through the tribal divided, you know, pay for play world that is Washington, D.C. these days? The main way is talking about the impact this would have on those members of Congress's districts and states, whether it's jobs created and some of the modeling we've had done that looks at some assumptions of how much money this could start to generate in terms of investments of 20 to $50 billion in loans over the first five to 10 years. It's looking at a million plus jobs and you spread that between members' districts based on the different kinds of jobs, and you're looking at 10,000 jobs in some of these uh, rural areas like Scranton, Pennsylvania, that gets the attention of those representatives. Well, it gets the attention of the president because he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. You're very, very specific there, too. I mean, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very auspicious town these days, considering Joe Biden is our president, so... It's great this time of year. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure in politics, it's always lovely. But uh, I guess that's a very interesting view then, because a lot of these places actually are being crushed in the modern economy, right? They lack good paying jobs and they're seeing their wealth drop, which is creating all sorts of political consequences. So you're bringing a solution to a lot of these places. Right. And they don't need to go out and learn to code or uh, do some fancy newfangled kid thing that is sort of the message we've delivered to those communities for decades. Just go get a job at Amazon. But in space, we have mining needs, we have welding, we have manufacturing. So a lot of the skills that these towns developed for cars, trains, airplanes, mining, are directly applicable in space and can be reinvigorated with certifications and skilled labor training rather than PhDs. So how do you create borders in space and stuff like that? Like I know that in San Diego, at a certain point, it becomes Mexico. Like how do you do that in space? Um, I don't. There is a guy who has, though. Right now, that's a huge question is how do you define property rights in space? And there's a number of groups that are doing a lot of the legal work to codify and sort of make suggestions to governments. Right now, it's sort of, if you're there, you own it. And that's an awkward system. We saw it play out over all of human existence. And so it would be nice to go with a good solution. Uh, One guy uh, from the 80s found a loophole in an international treaty that talked about no country can own anything in space. And he said, well, I'm not a country. And so he started selling land on the moon and Mars and elsewhere and has made millions of dollars because according to international law, nobody actually can object to his claims. 
they're not enforceable either, but... <laughs> so there's already space lawyers, Tim? So there's already these awful, awful people ruining space? Because they haven't ruined enough here on Earth because, you know, lawyers, you know, oh my God. <laughs> they're starting their own little uh, space law group and without more people... They're going to be a large segment of the population, so we need to do something to... Well, sounds like I don't want to go to the space disco because there's too many space lawyers there. I want a space disco that's representative of the general population because, you know, diversity is important. So what comes next for governments? So if we don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And you're suggesting that China and Russia are pretty committed to this. They see the writing on the wall that we're squabbling down here about fossil fuels and the South China Sea. And we have this whole universe that is the future of our economy. We're sort of at a point when we can choose to lead. It's not going to be easy. It's going to require investments of time, money, political capital, the alternative is assuming we'll always be great and realizing too late that people and organizations like China, Russia have overtaken us. Or we've ceded space to billionaires who are now setting the rules of the road. And neither are great options. One involves me being able to subscribe to space access. The other involves me learning a new language. Neither are really my thing. So there's, there's a chance here for government to start in a better direction and start the ball rolling with this infrastructure development initiative and let the market do what it does best and try, fail, try, fail, invest, and go from there instead of just... Waiting. Why don't politicians talk about this? I mostly hear them talking about like critical race theory or infrastructure here on Earth. Why don't we hear a lot about space? I mean, mind you, we hear about space from culture, but we don't hear it from politics. The same reason we probably don't hear much about TikTok from nursing homes. Getting into elected office uh, means you are risk adverse, and that's not bad. It just is what it is. So that group of people that thrive on playing it safe, space is way not real. And so it is incumbent on those of us in the space industry talking to Congress and those other late adopters to relate it to them and explain how this matters now and to them, whether it's through jobs, national security, or putting a flag somewhere that they want to put a flag because uh, JFK did. So they want. So we're to, still too. at that planting our flag like the Spanish did in the 1400s. That's we haven't learned anything. <laughs> It would, it would seem not. It is one of the reasons why we are doing this when we're doing it, when we're talking to Congress as the return to the moon is being funded and talked about and when Mars is being looked at to say, look, showing up somewhere, throwing a party, high-fiving and planting a flag and then going home is not the way to do this. Let's learn from what didn't work the last 
dozen times we showed up to colonize Ooh, somewhere. and that's become a nasty word, colonizing. Like, oh my, yeah. Right, and we get to learn from our mistakes. There's fewer people we're displacing on the moon and Mars, uh, but Mars is right now entirely uh, populated by robots, so we should probably be kind to them when we show up. So where can we find out more about you and what you do, Tim? Well, we are on uh, most uh, social media platforms at uh, F4F space. So letter F, number four, letter F space. And our website is just that, F4F.space, where you can sign up for our newsletter, check out what we're doing. We're a member-supported nonprofit, and so... Uh, we're usually give a pitch like PBS. We're supported by members like you. Well, thank you, Tim, for the work that you do. I'm, had to, I'm happy to report you are the first Alaskan on this podcast, and we love Alaska. I do. So <laughs> one of my favorite states. So thanks for ta- making the time for us. So thanks to all of you for joining me as we follow the prophet. And a big thanks to Tim Chrisman, an Alaskan, a space futurist, and someone who has a lot of really interesting thoughts on the future of humanity. And I'd like to thank my team, of course. I'd be nothing without them. Cheyenne Reed, Emiliano Limon, Scott Hantler, and our executive producers, Newt Gingrich and Debbie Myers. I'm David Grasso. If you enjoyed this show, give us five stars and give us a review so that others can learn what this show is all about. Follow the Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All opinions expressed by David Grasso and his guests on the show are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Gingrich 360 or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated by David Grasso on this podcast television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by David Grasso as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. David Grasso's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither Gingrich Productions nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. David Grasso, Gingrich Productions, its affiliates and or subsidiaries are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided on this website. David Grasso's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice. No part of David Grasso's compensation from Gingrich Productions is related to the specific opinions he expresses. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Neither David Grasso nor Gingrich 360 guarantees any specific outcome or profit. You should be aware of the real risk of loss in following any strategy or investment discussed on this website or on the show. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than invested. Investments or strategies mentioned on this website or on the show may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You must take an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned on this website or on the show. Before acting on information on this website or on the show, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.